Welcome back, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. Now, we're going to play an interview which was recorded on Friday after Julian Assange's U.S. extradition hearing at Westminster Magistrates Court in London, where I had a chance to meet and speak with a diplomat uh, who was the former Ecuadorian consul for the U.K. His name is Fidel Nevraez, and he's also a close friend of Julian Assange, and he was also with Julian Assange throughout his application for asylum with Ecuador uh, during the six-year period in the Ecuadorian embassy serving under the uh, Korea government. And this was a very informal interview. Uh, We literally walked off the street and into a nearby bar where we chatted, and Fidel was able to give us some very good insights uh, on this case, uh, but also on Julian Assange as a person, uh, about his politics, uh, his relationship with the country of Ecuador, and also about his commitment to WikiLeaks's mission uh, of transparency and speaking truth uh, to power. Here is the interview. We'll play this right now. I'm here with Fidel Navraez, and he is the ex-consul of Ecuador in the UK. Uh, he is also a close friend of Julian Assange, specifically during the time when, when Julian was uh, seeking asylum with Ecuador. Uh, we both attended the hearing at Westminster Magistrates Court today. And Fidel, I just wanted to first introduce yourself um, and how you how you became uh, uh, a person in this story, uh, but also uh, we want to talk a bit later about your impressions of, of what happened today uh, at the hearing. Yeah, well, my name is Fidel Narvaez. Uh, I work as a diplomat for the Ecuador Embassy for eight years, since 2010 to 2018. I was the consul of Ecuador. At the time, uh, Julian asked for asylum in my country. I know Julian before he came into the embassy because uh, Ecuador, um, I think it's the only country that requested WikiLeaks, the publication of all diplomatic cables relating to to our country. Uh, that was the first contact I had uh, with Julian and WikiLeaks. Uh, so I know, I know Julian quite well. I spent six years uh, in the embassy with Julian in our embassy, so I, I became obviously his, his close friend. That's how I got in this story. I know the case very well. I got to know Julian very well, and I'm very committed to, to the case and to, to ensure that Julian doesn't end up in a U.S. prison which was the whole point of the asylum. You mentioned something. Uh, you spoke at the Imperialism on Trial event on, uh, I believe it was Tuesday evening, at the Crypt on the Green in Farringdon. And uh, why, why, why did Julian choose Ecuador? Because, of course, he could have chosen many different countries to claim asylum. After all, every embassy in the world is located in London, for the most part. Why Ecuador? Was there a specific reason why he chose Ecuador? Well, um, I cannot answer for Julian. However, I would say that um, the fact that Ecuador approached WikiLeaks 
for the publication of the cables was the start of a relationship. And I think it sent a, a powerful message that uh, we were about transparency, we were about we identify with what WikiLeaks was doing. At the time, my country was going through a very exceptional political, historical period, which we know as the Citizen Revolution, under the government of President Rafael Correa. So um, I would say that that was uh, probably the, the main reason that uh, Julian considered Ecuador as a potential ally. Uh, but my country was giving um, evidence of a very sovereign uh, policy, sovereign international stand in the in the in the international arena, um, and I guess that was a, a decisive factor also for Julian to come and choose Ecuador, a small country that doesn't weigh much economically. But um, just to give you an example, uh, in Ecuador, we used to have the biggest uh, US military base in South America. Under the government of President Correa, with a new constitution, any presence of foreign military forces is forbidden. Therefore, the U.S. base had to go, and it went, which is quite unprecedented uh, for any country to achieve that. Uh, that gives you an idea that uh, Korea's government was very serious about national sovereignty, and um, yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess that was a factor for Julian coming and knocking us door. Our door. Yeah. And uh, t today we, we had an extradition hearing in London uh, at Westminster Magistrates Court, very small courtroom, courtroom number three. Julian Assange uh, appeared by video link, and you were there. Uh, I was there as well. You, you've known Julian for many years, and you've seen him in different environments, uh, in, in, in the public, in the embassy, and, and now via video link, um, where he's in Belmarsh Prison. Uh, what, what were your just general impressions? How did you feel uh, when you saw him on the video screen and, and see him talk, and, and also the hearing in general, what it meant to you? Well, the fact that we were in a British court <coughs> witnessing the starting of the extradition process um, basically shows that uh, Julian was always right in seeking for protection and that Ecuador was right granting that protection to Julian. The whole point of the asylum was to avoid a situation like the one we have now. As I said, I, I know Julian quite well. I am very concerned about his well-being, seeing him via video link today, how much weight he has lost. Um, I'm afraid that emotionally he's also affected. Um, after seeing the report of the United Nations, a representative 
against torture that has come out with, with an opinion, with a statement so powerful, which says basically that in 20 years of his experience, looking at very serious cases uh, of uh, people who have been subject to torture, he has never seen a case as severe, as extreme, like this one, when several countries basically collude in order to destroy an individual. The political, judicial, media persecution against Julian doesn't have precedence. So, my point, I thought that Julian Assange was emotionally unbreakable. That was my, my conviction. I haven't seen Julian uh, for half a year. I managed to visit him at Christmas last year. And I, when I saw him, uh, obviously, um, the last year in the embassy was, was held for Julian. I still thought that they won't be able to break him. They haven't done it yet. But the investigation carried out by the UN representative against torture is done with specialists on the field, medical specialists, psychologists. They know a lot more than I can to identify uh, how much damage all this has caused and is causing to Julian Assange. So um, my impression today was that Julian is very affected physically and emotionally as a result of the persecution against him. I mean, for myself, I've, I've seen him in the, in the press, interviews he's done while he was in the Ecuadorian embassy. So I know him as this uh, articulate, always in full flow, always leading the conversation always on the cutting edge, the crest of the wave of any major geopolitical event, and giving analysis on this. And this, this became a really important role that he played in the media while he was in the Ecuadorian embassy until his Internet access was, was cut off. And then seeing him today, uh, I could see how, how constrained he was uh, by the system, uh, by the time he had to talk. Um, and he brought up something interesting. I don't know if you might comment. He was talking about me media coverage. He, he was saying that uh, misreporting by the BBC, he cited a story by the BBC. And I know that uh, this is kind of a, an older story that's already been fleshed out in the press. But for him, he has limited access to information. And so... But but do you think he, he wanted to get that point on the record? It was about accusations of hacking him and Chelsea Manning or a conspiracy to commit computer intrusion. But the BBC, I guess, had framed it as hacking, and he wanted to get it on the record. Yes, knowing him, my feeling is that um, his small window of opportunity that he had to try to set the record straight... He, uh, he tried to use it in the same fashion like always it was reported that Julian Assange was uh, escaping charges for sexual assault in Sweden and which is absolutely uh, not true he never was charged but media kept reporting that they were 
basically imposing that false narrative in the same way he is worried that the narrative that is being uh, is being imposed by by, by corporate media uh, mainly is that he is accused of hacking, which is not really the case. And that's obvious why they want to say that, because they want to distract the attention to the fact that he is trying to be sentenced for publishing, for publishing truthful information about war crimes that are on the public interest. So by saying that he is accused of hacking, they are trying to um, diminish the support that he could get as a publisher, as a journalist of what he is. So let's see what the report uh, from media from today's hearing is and if they fairly put the point that Julian um, put on the table today. And he, he made this specific comment. He said uh, that these accusations um, are trying to assert that WikiLeaks is something else besides only a publisher. And he wanted to make that very that point very clear. WikiLeaks is a publisher. Yeah. So, and I think as far as the rest of the indictments go, I don't know what your comment is on those, but the, the British government legal representative there read out the summary of the 17 superseding indictments for Assange and didn't have any, obviously, any objection with the content of those indictments and just rubber stamped it, said that technically this is okay, so therefore you know, we're fine with this according to our treaty with the United States. And the Home Secretary Sandit Javid only yesterday, I believe, uh, signed the extradition order. So from a diplomatic or a political point of view, what does that tell you that the British government has already signed this? In other words, they're not going to stand in the way of the court should the court decide that he should be extradited if the defense wasn't strong enough for his case. Is it, is it purely procedural or it seems like the government's already made its decision? Is that, is that how you interpret this? Well, yes. Um, there's a procedure to be done. And given the fact that the United States only, I think, yesterday or before yesterday, uh, handed over all the documentation to the British government to to proceed with the extradition process, I think it was a procedure that the, the, the Interior Minister needed to sign that off. However... What he did is publicly come out with his personal position on this. Yeah? And I, th I see two probably reasons why he's done it. Why? One, that he doesn't have any problem with showing how subservient is the British uh, establishment, which he represents, British government to the US request on this and secondly that Mr. Javid yesterday morning was basically competing in an internal election procedure process for uh, the post of Prime Minister of the, of, of the UK so I think he wanted to show off 
himself. Because because the conservative leadership can't campaign is happening now. Yes. And there's a number of uh, people vying for that position, yes. including the Home Secretary yeah. Javid. So exactly. certainly it makes him look tough exactly. on foreign policy. Yes. Yes. As a result of a decade of defamation, uh, vilifying campaign against Julian Assange. You can imagine that in the public opinion, Julian Assange is not necessarily uh, a welcome um, character. So politicians will use that yeah, in order to, to, to show them themselves off uh, in the public opinion. Uh, and which is the, the very point that the UN representative against torture uh, is, is doing. Uh, is, is, is saying Julian Assange is a victim of the defamation campaign coming from the political establishment, from the judiciary, from media. Is it, it is 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 a, is a clear example of, of what the UN is saying. The Home Secretary, I think he said specifically that um, he sh Assange should be brought to justice. He used this word a lot: justice. Yeah. He should face justice. Yeah. And so, the U.S. indictments they also kind of reflect this public campaign of, of defamation. There's a lot of assumptions there, uh, relabeling of WikiLeaks yeah. as a hostile intelligence service relabeling of Assange not as a journalist but as a cyber terrorist or as you know etc etc and so in both cases both the British and the American we see the, the the government's policies reflecting the media reportage often and the other way around too exactly other way around too but it creates a a, a, a reframing a, ch a change of the whole scene relabeling redefining yes. the terms yes of, of yes because at the, at the bottom of all these, I think this is this is political. This is political. So they are fighting two fronts at the same time. The the, the legal battle started basically today, but the political battle, the battle for the public opinion, is being fought with all these um, elements the defamation, the vilifying, trying to kill, to assassinate the character uh, in order to um, to contrast the public support that Julian can have in his case. In the hearing today, we saw Julian Assange's defense. Uh, they, they were also asking for some extra time. They would like more time because they felt that the, the constraints that they were under are quite severe in terms of you know, the complexity of the case. I think his lawyers commented on how complex this case is and also uh, he said the profound issues that this case touches and he made a specific comment which is the outrageous frontal assault on journalist rights. I, it, it seems to me like there's almost like it's a cat and mouse game between the state limiting access to Julian because he's one of the biggest assets in his own defense because of the technical nature of these charges and the fact that they do, he has to have documents posted to him. He said so today yeah. on the video link. And so how difficult is it to prepare a defense 
when you don't have access to the client, the client doesn't have access to the material, and you have limited time to make your arguments. It's, it seems like a very difficult environment to work in. What are your thoughts on this? Well, it's, it's again, is is the, 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 the judiciary persecution against this individual. Uh, the very fact that he is in a high-security prison for breaching bail, breaching bail that even doesn't constitute a crime in this country, is a minor offense, a security prison where he is um, denied proper access to his lawyers, to social visitors, he does not have access to a computer, he does not have access to 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 internet practically. Uh, it tells you that he's not being treated fairly. He's not being treated with the due process. Of course he's not. Uh, the British uh, government spent I guess more than 20 million pounds over the seven-year surveillance of the embassy, yeah? going after a man who was, didn't have any charges of any nature, going after a man who does not constitute a danger for uh, society, going after somebody who breached bail with very good reasons to breach the bail, as is and, and, and as is is being shown uh, now with all these um, U.S. Uh, charges against him, something that we knew always they were there and they will come out public when they put the hands on him. They done it, and, and now the fight uh, the fight is on with a with a bigger player. With the U.S., yes. So going forward, uh, it looks like this this process is going to, uh, in terms of the extradition case, uh, it's going to go into 2020 uh, based on what was said today in the courts. Uh, and we'll know for sure about the schedule in the end of October. On the 21st is a case management hearing. Uh, and after that, we're looking at a, a, a five-day hearing and end of February. And that brings us into the beginning of March. Uh, and also what's interesting is Julian has also lodged an appeal uh, for the bail skipping charge. And if he's successful, he could be released uh, before the first week of October, if he's not after uh, the first week of October. Um, so there's a possibility that he could uh, serve out his uh, custodial sentence uh, for the bail skipping and then be you know, technically free. Uh, I don't know how, how that's going to... Uh, uh, play out in terms of extradition, but certainly at that point he would have a lot more access to his legal team to to prepare defense. But um, so I think it'll be interesting to see what's decided there. As you said, skipping bail is not a is not a major crime, and they also paid a fine. The bail was set what a quarter of a million pounds or something like this. I guess so yes, yeah. yeah. That's been paid to the government effectively. Well, yes, yes, and he has been. Um, in an enclosure, in a very, very uh, difficult conditions, uh, which the UN has uh, considered to be equivalent 
to arbitrary detention for seven years. Uh, Just describe us what, how, how small of an area he had to live in in the embassy, because you've been to the embassy. And, you know, people said it's in the basement or it's a bedroom. And is, is square footage-wise, what would it be the equivalent of? Well, I, um, I will tell you in square meters, uh, no bigger than 200 meters square meters um, flat in, 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 a, in, a, in a building in Nicebridge. Um, with practically not natural light going into the the, the, the flat, uh, sharing the space with uh, embassy staff. Uh, that was not a flat designed for somebody to to live there. Um, it was very very tough. Nobody should be of the idea that Julian Assange was stay was comfortable, was um, um, involved some uh, privileges, not at all. It was always difficult from the logistic point of view, limitation of space. The longest distance that Julian could walk was 15 meters, maybe. Yeah, 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 very, very difficult in, in, in the log- from the logistic point of view, but also from from the uh, social and, and, and human point of of view. Uh, spending two thousand, nearly two thousand five hundred days and nights without seeing the house, without stepping outside, the embassy did not have uh, an inter- interior uh, patio or anything where he could go out and take some sunlight or fresh air. It was it was really tough. From that point of view, um, from that fact, uh, Julian resilience is incredible. Incredible. Lastly, I just wanted uh, Julian Assange, uh, the man, the the journalist. In in your experience, and he seemed to be very passionate, uh, certainly about international politics. He even made the remark that uh, they w- WikiLeaks uh, does align itself with the the best constitutional principles in the United States of freedom of the press, freedom of speech, transparency of government, and so forth. From your experience, speak to his his personal commitment to some of these principles. What was your experience with, with Julian Assange as a, uh, a journalist, a citizen, you know, his political side? Well, I, I feel really privileged to got to know Julian very closely, to spend so much time together with him. Um, I can say that I don't recall seeing any, anywhere, any fair portrait about Julian Assange. And one very recurrent thing that I witnessed is that many people who met him for the first time, for any reason, came to see him, many people come out with completely different idea of Julian Assange, of what they had previously. Even the UN uh, representative against torture says clearly, when 
Julian's lawyers approached him to go into the case. He said he was reluctant to begin with because he has he had as well been intoxicated by the false mis for, by the misrepresentation of, of Julian Assange. So Julian is a very uh, nice guy to 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 meet to talk to. He has a great sense of humor. He is not arrogant as they portray him. He might get sometimes confrontational with his enemies, and he has the right to do so. He is human, as any of us, with many, many virtues and weaknesses, of course. He is a very principled man. He is completely, completely um, committed to what he has clearly set up as his life uh, goal, which is um, transparency, which is um, fighting against the powerful that abuse that power um, to commit crimes against all of us. He is not, definitely is not a person that's going to respond to a different agenda from any government. Those who are portraying him as being aligned or responding to any other, any country, to Russia for the matter, they are absolutely wrong. Those who are portraying him as being at some point responding or coordinating anything with a conservative um, Republican Party in 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 U.S. are absolutely wrong. Um, he, the fact that he is where he is is exactly because he never compromised with anybody. He will not uh, make any compromises with any government, not with Ecuador, not with anybody. Um, and he's, pay, he's paying a high price for that. Uh, he is paying a very high pr price for that, and we all we, sh we should all um, recognize that and um, fight fight for his freedom. That's the least we can we can do. He is the kind of people that sacrifice his freedom for us, like uh, like Chelsea Manning like Edward Snowden and the least we can do is is, is to join the 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 struggle for, for their freedom. Yeah. I just want to say thank you very much for your time, Fidel. I appreciate it and uh, sharing your your thoughts and insights with us. It's been very valuable. Thank you very much. Thank you. Pleasure. That was the interview with Fidel Nevraez the former Ecuadorian consul to the UK and a good friend of Julian Assange. And again, uh, what a fantastic discussion that we had, which I hope was uh, informative and insightful. 
uh, for our listeners at the Sunday Wire. And as I said before, this was uh, really on the hoof, very informal talk we had. This was recorded right after we left Friday's court hearing for Julian Assange in London. We'll take a short break and be right back after these messages. This is the Alternate Current Radio Network. I'm your host, Patrick Hankson. Stay right there. Some say I'm just a part of it See, some say I'm just a part of it See, some say I'm just a part of it And I agree with you You may say We're just the mosaic of the lie Just playing on our minds Just playing on our minds Just playing on our minds You may say I'm anti-establishment 